0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to The View from Jamestown Podcast Edition. This, uh, this afternoon, we have a special special episode. We have the first part of our mini-series with Diaz Trade Law. We're excited to be sitting down this afternoon with Jen Diaz from Diaz Trade Law. She's the president and founder of Diaz Trade Law. She's an uh, international board-certified attorney specializing in customs and international trade been a good partner and longtime partner of TCC. We're happy to have her here. Uh, Jen, appreciate you taking some time this afternoon to uh, do the first of hopefully a multi-part series here with us.
1: Thank you. Super excited to be here. I appreciate you guys considering me for Customs and Trade Matters and super excited to talk about it because us trade nerds have nothing else to talk about, right?
0: No, I think that the timing couldn't be better. We're excited to do it. We're excited to have you on. It's something that's incredibly relevant with everything going on these days, obviously specific to us in the chemical industry. Um, but also I'm sure you guys are busier than ever with a whole variety of import export things to talk about. Um, I'm sure your day to day is, is never boring and ever changing. I can only imagine.
1: you definitely got that right. It's not a bad time to be a customs and trade attorney. FYI, not that I want all that competition out there, but if anybody is looking for an internship, <laughs> in case there are some law students out there, contact me. Lots of work.
0: Absolutely, good, good little, uh, good little recruiting segment in there. No, no, no harm there. Um, but yeah, getting started. You know, we're we're excited. Hopefully, this will be a little. Uh, TBD on how many part series, but we're going to have a multi-part series here with Diaz Trade Law. Uh, I know Jen has a few of her colleagues she's looking forward to pulling in on some of these later episodes. Uh, But I think just to get started, it'd be great to have an introduction on both yourself personally, um, as well as the business, uh, how you got started, how long you've been in business, what you guys focus on and and your team there. Um, So I'll let you take the floor.
1: Perfect. Thanks so much. So my company is Diaz Trade Law. We've been around for six years, excited to be celebrating our sixth year. This year in 2021, I am a 15 plus year attorney going on my 16th year and I've strictly practiced customs and international trade law since starting. I was one of those crazy law students that had 12 internships in law school trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And my last one happened to be an accidental internship in customs and international trade law. And I fell in love with the area. I loved the fact that it was a niche practice, that I knew nothing about it to begin with. It was a complete learning curve starting. I grew up on South Beach where my balcony overlooked the port and I had no idea what happened to that port. I looked at Port Miami every day and literally didn't understand what a gantry crane was, didn't understand containers, you know, growing up, you see containers on the highway and you're just annoyed that they're taking up a lot of space and going slower than the Mm -hmm. speed limit. You know, you know, you don't necessarily think about what's in them and how essential they are for the clothes you're wearing and for anything you use on a day-to-day basis. So 16 years later, and I'm still in the area and still love it because every single day is something crazy and new and different and One day you're talking about one federal government agency and then you're talking about another and we have 40 plus to choose from. We've got over 328 ports of entry in the United States. So many different ways to get into trouble and so many ways that people don't realize that there are to get into trouble. Importing is one of those areas where it's really easy to get started and really easy to screw up. So at our firm, we handle both the pre-compliance side as well as the, oh no, I messed up. So my goods are seized. I have a penalty a government agency is mad at me i got a bad notice so at our firm we do a little bit of a lot i call us the 911 operators for trade typically people are calling us in a panic so we have me running the firm i've got two all-star associates that are terrific dealing with import and export transactions and i've got amazing of council lawyers dealing with intellectual property rights as well as um, anti-dumping and countervailing duties and all sorts of fun lit- litigation that comes up, as well as many wonderful consultants that assist us. So people that used to work for customs, used to work for FDA. So the director of import operations, the previous director of import operations for FDA and previous assistant commissioner for customs, as well as many others. So I'm very fortunate to have a really great diverse team of customs and trade and federal government agencies uh former federal government agents how about that to help us with all sorts of fun trade matters. So I would say our firm is pretty diverse in that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like you have a great team there. Great, great basket of resources. Obviously you're in one of the major hotbeds of uh importing and exporting in the US, being in that South Beach area, uh right up there with Houston and Long Beach. I'm sure you're uh there's 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 no shortage of activity and things going on right around that area. Good, good spot to be. For sure. Um, I think, uh, obviously, this episode targeted more at import. Uh, we plan to have at least uh, an import-specific episode, a export-specific episode, uh, an episode on anti-dumping and what that includes, as well as maybe getting into some policy things. Focusing on importing for this specific one in this this first episode, um, I think starting at the very basics, I mean, wh- wh- you know, I don't know if you have a good definition of importing or what importing is or involves, um, but that might be a great kind of no-brain way to start.
1: Love it. Bottom line: Bringing an item into the United States from outside the United States, and the item and/or items are valued over $2,500, then it's considered a commercial importation, and you have you have to make entry. And when making entry, all these words sound awkward. So filing an entry summary with Customs is typically involves hiring a customs broker so basically a person that is licensed by u.s customs to fill out a piece of paper so sometimes we call them a travel agent for cargo so you know you think of a travel agent for people you know helping you get to another country this is a travel agent for cargo helping the cargo physically get to the u.s is usually a freight forwarder's role somebody who physically helps with the logistics and transportation whether it's going on a vessel whether it's going by truck whether it's going by air or such and then the customs broker files a piece of paper, now it's via ACE, now it's technically paperless via the automated commercial environment. And you're filling out this form itself for goods entering the United States. Now this form has lots of crazy questions. And if I was to ask small business importers answers to these particular questions, sadly, I would guess that at least 75% of them would not know the answer. So for example, if we were to go into a, a random store and ask your normal everyday person if they knew what an HTS was, what percentage of the population, Ben, do you think would have any clue about what a harmonized tariff schedule is? Right?
0: Less than less than one, less than one percent.
1: So, now think of it this way: so many people buy goods on Amazon, right, or Alibaba, or God knows what website these days, right? And if Personally, my pro tip for that is I always look for goods that are prime and one or two day shipping because I know that those goods were already imported into the U.S. by somebody else. And if they're not prime, then it could be that you are the importer. So technically, any person that buys stuff online, whatever that stuff is, and you have a seller of that stuff that's outside of the United States. Technically, you're importing into the United States, which is crazy because some people say, "What? I just bought this thing on Amazon. What's the big deal? Well, if that thing, for example, was counterfeit, it is a big deal. And those are some fun cases that we'll talk about later as well. So now. Bottom line is, if you're in the commercial business, if you're importing anything worth over twenty five hundred dollars, which is our typical client your customs broker fills out this entry document that proves that a um you have the right to make entries so you should be the owner or purchaser of the goods so sometimes this is questioned by customs right are you the right importer that should be responsible for the goods are you using the right classification that's the harmonized tariff schedule the hts we were talking about for the goods are you paying the correct amount of duties customs duties so My husband always laughs because we say the word duties nonstop in this business. (laughs) And are you using the correct valuation if there are anti-dumping or countervailing duties that apply? So, so many fun technical questions that come to mix. And one of them is also intellectual property rights. Do you have a brand on your products in any way, shape, or form? And do you have the rights to utilize that brand, whether it's on an outer container, whether it's on the product itself? Does it make a difference? could even be on your website. And that's a whole nother story as well. But the question is at the time of importation, what do the goods look like? Are they counterfeit or are they not counterfeit? Are you using the right information? For example, if your goods are hazardous materials, you better have the right symbols on your particular goods or they're not gonna get on a plane or a boat, right? So there are a lot of requirements, unfortunately, and fortunately in this business, most of those requirements are for a good reason, right? For health, safety, welfare, some of them, Some of them to ensure we have food products, for example, that are safe to consume and, you know, safer planes to to load these particular items. So the harder part is it's very easy to become an importer, to hire a customs broker, to get a bond. That's also a requirement. The bond is not to protect you. It's like getting an insurance policy for your shipments and it has nothing to do with protecting you as the importer. It has everything to do with protecting U.S. Customs from you. So if you, the importer, cannot pay your duties or have an obligation to U.S. Customs, Customs gets to pierce that bond. They get to go after that bond, and then the surety gets to go after you, the importer, if you don't pay up. So it's a very interesting process in that Ben can start importing tomorrow, hire a customs broker, get a get a continuous bond so you can import for a year over a single entry bond for one shipment. Either way, you can do either. You have your importer of record number. And I just screamed at somebody today because they imported under their personal name. When you do that, you have to give up your social security number and import under your own name. Now they had an issue and wound up with an $800,000 penalty. Imagine under their own name, not under a business. So it's the last thing you would ever want. So number one to me, if you don't have an actual company and you're importing, that's where you have a big red X and you should be stopping. So having a properly set up entity, speaking with an accountant of your choice to choose the right entity type, set up a correct entity, hopefully with a corporate attorney that sets it up properly for you. And if you have partners, you have your partnership agreements, you guys don't fight later because you already agreed to it when you were friends. And you, you set up and all of a sudden you have this great customs broker. You have a bond and you can start importing. And it's very, very easy, unfortunately, to start importing. There's no test. There's no license per se that you need from U.S. Customs for the privilege of importing. You just have your importer of record number and you have your bond. And voila, you're free to go. But nobody necessarily trains you. Nobody would like it if I was in charge of customs because I would mandate a test and I'd be fired like day one, I'm sure.
0: I mean, that sounds reasonable to me. You'd think there should be a a certain baseline uh, certification or license to be able to do
1: such a thing. A hundred percent. In my opinion, it's nuts that the individual I spoke with today imported items that happened to be counterfeit under her own personal name and thereafter wound up with an $800,000 penalty. That's nuts. It's legit. And why is there nothing, you know, grand scheme of things, there are a plethora of resources online. If anybody actually cared to read them and look for them, U.S. Customs has an awesome website with so many guidance documents that we'll talk about later. So it's one of those things where it's buyer beware and it's you should know better. And it's one of the first things they teach us in law school is ignorance is no defense, right? No excuse too bad. So it's one of those things where you should know better, but there's so much liability and that's what scares me for importers in that you can get started quite easily, but nobody sits down with you and says, by the way, there's something called anti-dumping and countervailing duties and they could be really big, you know, 200, 300 times the value, crazy numbers. And if you don't do your due diligence and research, your items might be subject to it. And maybe you'll have penalties because you didn't import stating that your goods were subject to anti-dumping and countervailing duties when they were. And it's up to you, the importer, to know that. The other thing that I think is a really big, big deal is let's say Ben starts importing, right? You hire a wonderful customs broker and that broker helps you and holds your hand through the whole process, tells you what classification they think is best, the value you should use, and so on. And you think the broker you know, has your best interest at heart, which I hope they really do. But then again, if the broker's wrong, who's in trouble, Ben? You or the broker? You, you, Ben. And that's the part that stinks. An importer has all of the liability and responsibility to use what's called reasonable care when importing to make sure that the value's correct, the intellectual property rights are your own, you comply with other government agency requirements. If there are such, you're using the right classification, paying the right amount of duties, declaring the correct country of origin. There's so many difficult things where country of origin you wouldn't think is a big deal, but that could be really complicated. And you can talk about chemicals that have multiple ingredients and those ingredients are from various countries, but they get mixed in a different country. Well, what's the country of origin? And what's the primary ingredient? What's the ingredient that gives the essential character of the chemicals? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's where they're mixed. Maybe it's where they're spread. Maybe it's where an active is. It gets to be so nitty gritty sometimes, right? And that's, that's the fun every day that we deal with.
0: So you're working with one big gray area, in other words.
1: A lot of times, a lot of times. And that's the beauty of specific customs programs as well. because Customs has what's called a binding ruling program. And this is one thing that customs does for guess how much, Ben? Guess how much? Is it free? It's free. It's the one thing. It's it's one of those wonderful things that is absolutely free from US customs. You, you apply for a binding ruling online and you can request and get a free binding ruling from customs. If it's classification related, it's usually available within 30 days, which is pretty great. So the hard part, is you have to plan in advance right so 30 days prior to importation you have to already be thinking of this now my pro tips for binding ruling requests from customs is you don't just say here's the item here's the chemical here's the widget that i want to import customs help me tell me what the right classification is instead you say customs Here's the item I want to import. I did my homework and I reviewed the classifications and I really believe it should be this one for this reason. Don't you agree, customs? Because what happens is once customs puts that pen to paper and publishes that binding ruling, it's binding on your company for life. And if you don't like it, there is a process to fight it, but that's not a pretty process. And if you don't, so I have this story, this is a fun one, where a client requested a binding ruling before they met me. They didn't like what customs had to say with the binding ruling results. And they said, you know what? Who cares about this ruling? I'm gonna do what I wanna do anyways. And they completely went against the customs ruling. So they asked for this free ruling. They wasted customs resources in getting the actual ruling. They didn't advocate for what they wanted and they didn't get what they wanted. And then they said, you know what? I don't really care what customs wants. I'm gonna do what I want anyway." That's one of the worst things you can do when it comes to customs, because imagine how pissed you'd be if you spent time giving somebody advice and telling them that advice was binding, and then somebody did what they wanted to do anyways. You're not going to be happy with them, right?
0: Yeah, I can't imagine that one ended very well. No, it didn't. Um, I think there's a lot of of great stuff in there, I think. Starting from, maybe starting from zero, and I know you touched upon it a little bit, um, you know, wh- what does a company, uh, you know, for the purpose of this, obviously, TCC being a, a bulk chemical distribution and sales company, um, you know, wh- what does a company need to do to make sure you're importing correctly? If, if I'm the chemical company and we've never looked at imports and want to start importing uh, bulk chemicals into the U.S., what, what what does a company like us need to do from, from zero to make sure we're doing everything correctly, checking all the boxes, is, is it checking with a company like yourselves? Is it getting a good broker? Is it doing our homework? What's, what, what, if I come to you and say, we want to start importing, what is what is kind of step one to make sure we're checking off all the boxes?
1: So number one is I always recommend you have a wonderful customs broker. You want to know the customs broker by name and you want them to know you by name. You want to have a contact at the brokerage company. What I What I like to say is you should be interviewing your customs broker to make sure that they're familiar with your commodity and your center of excellence and expertise. So for example, customs is split up into 10 groups based upon the item itself. So based upon, for example, chemicals, and I have to cheat and look up our Cs because God forbid I would actually memorize all of them, but there are 10 Cs all over the US And for example, agricultural apparel, automotive, base metals, consumer products, electronics, industrial and manufacturing materials, machinery, petroleum, natural gas and minerals, and pharma health and chemicals. So the likelihood is you'd probably be in the pharma health and chemicals center. The idea is within this particular center, Are the people within customs that are really going to be judging your imports they're going to be looking at them and determining whether the imports are great whether there's an issue with documentation whether there's not if there's an issue it would be this center that gets involved as well so now what you want to do as a new importer is say customs broker are you familiar with chemicals do you know classifications for chemicals do you know customs officers at the specific courts that I'm dealing with? Are you familiar with the centers of excellence and expertise for my particular product? If there's an issue, how will you react? How will you get me involved? How will you be proactive with this particular issue? All really great things that you want to hear from a customs broker because one of the worst things that happens is there's an issue and your broker does nothing proactively to help you in any way or doesn't tell you to actually get help and months go by and you do nothing and don't really know what's going on and don't have your cargo, not a great situation. So number one, get a terrific customs broker that you personally vet, that you feel confident with that will be proactive when you need them. Make sure you have your documentation in a row is number two. And when I mean documentation, I mean you have to research federal government agencies. So for your particular commodity, US Customs is always going to be involved and always going to be the number 1 federal government agency that regulates any importation and any exportation but there are a multitude of other federal government agencies that may regulate your particular product as well so in your particular instance we would first want to say okay for this chemical what what's in the particular chemical and which federal government agencies would have requirements is there a license is there Anything that I need to do in advance, like, for example, if it was alcohol, because that's always a fun one, we need a permit from the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau prior to importation. Otherwise, your imports are just going to sit at the port. So for your product, which federal government agencies regulate you, which involves some research? Is there any requirement that you have for your particular product in advance of importation? So the likelihood is with a chemical, you have to comply with hazmat requirements and have certain symbols certain. And the idea behind those symbols is to ensure that the particular chemical won't blow up, right? We want to make sure that it's safe to transit wherever it's transiting and whatever method of transportation it's taking. So those are the number ones and twos in terms of knowing who you're doing business with as well. If you have a reputable supplier. Today, I had another person tell me they purchased something off of Alibaba and didn't really know who it was from and didn't really know them. I've had a crazy scenario where somebody purchased from a new supplier and thought that the supplier might have been reputable, maybe, maybe not, didn't really do their homework or due diligence. And it's, and when I talk about due diligence, I mean, as little as a Google search, just to see what presence they have. If they give you an address, where is that address? Is that address a real manufacturing facility? Is it a post office box? Is it a house in whatever country? I mean, minimal due diligence and research is, is, what you should be doing. And then there are in-country groups that can also check out any manufacturer as well for you. So bottom line, a great customs broker, research on what federal government agencies actually regulate your particular product and any requirements that you have to import your product pre-importation. And making sure you use the right classification, valuation, country of origin labeling, making sure your labeling itself is compliant with all of those federal government agency rules and making sure in terms of documentation, your commercial invoice actually meets customs requirements. There are many fields. I have a commercial invoice cheat sheet I give to my clients to make sure that their commercial invoices actually satisfy customs regulations, because many don't. Many invoices, for example, are in Spanish and not in English. And they have to be at least in both languages, at a minimum in English, right, for the US market. So, so many requirements when you import, but the expectation is to have somebody on your side, whether it's internally or externally, that helps you navigate the process. Is it a lot? Yes. Is it absolutely doable? Yes. Millions upon millions of companies import into the United States every day. And it's, it's a doable task, but it's also very easy to navigate incorrectly if you don't have the right people on your team. So if you have an item and you're not sure how it's regulated, how it's supposed to be labeled, what the requirements are for your particular item, that is the time to get a consultant and your customs attorney on board right away to help you navigate
0: yeah it sounds like there's uh quite a few places you could make a wrong left turn whether you mean to or not there's there's a lot that could uh could go awry, especially you know even if you're a seasoned uh importer It sounds like there's a lot that could uh get uh you know a little bit messed up along the way whether it's a new product coming in or changes to the code or whatnot it sounds like there's a lot of a lot of variables in that equation there.
1: You're so right. We had an instance where an importer was importing for 40 plus years and they said they've never gotten in trouble before, never had an issue. And they had a customs inspector at a particular port that was examining them right and left, inspecting, dotting every I, crossing every T, and and going through every item to such level of detail. And they had a multitude of seizures, of issues, and they realized that they were labeling incorrectly. At the end of it, they had an intellectual property rights issue and they never would have known this otherwise, but for somebody really brutally examining their merchandise at the port, but what should they have done better? And what did we help them with after the fact is we got them to have an import compliance process. And what's your internal policy to make sure that everything you're importing is legitimate and is authorized to be imported. And if you don't have those types of processes, Not everybody has a compliance manual in place if you're a small importer, especially, but those larger entities, for sure. They have compliance manuals, checklists, the right logistics personnel on their team to help them with the process. And that makes sense. Because these rules are set up for bigger companies to actually comply with because they have the teams and infrastructure in place. I feel like smaller companies are really the ones that are truly set up to fail if they don't have the right team in place to help them, especially at the beginning.
0: Yeah, completely understandable. Um, let's say you're uh, you're a TCC and you've been importing a little bit for two, three years and things have been going pretty well for the most part. Um, what are some of the things that Customs takes a look at or, or targets? What are some of their big focuses on, uh, you know, whether it's cracking down on illegal activity or making sure the paperwork's in line? You know, what, what are some of the ways that maybe a, a somewhat new importer uh could, could go awry or you know, what are some of the th- big things that customs is really taking a look at that are being, you know, should be aware of to, to make sure you're avoiding?
1: Absolutely. So one is trade agreements. This is a biggie. So we're seeing a lot of audits and verifications. So for example, if you're saying my good was really made in South Korea and I'm taking advantage of the US-South Korea free trade agreement, customs will say, great, prove it. And when you say prove it, what do you exactly do you mean? Well, a certificate of origin is not good enough. So, for example, if you have a particular product, and for you being, for example, a chemical, we would need to know the final classification for that chemical. We would dig in with the South South Korea Free Trade Agreement. We would see what it takes to meet the criteria of the free trade agreement. And for example, maybe the, the raw material chemical has to be from South Korea, and maybe there are multiple raw materials, and maybe some are not from South Korea. Does the What customs would want to see are the invoices from every single raw material that makes up your final chemical. And if, for example, some of the raw materials are not from South Korea, that could kick you out of the free trade agreement. So you may have a manufacturer's affidavit of origin that the final mixture is combined in South Korea, but the assembly and mixture may not be enough to satisfy the country of origin requirement that you that your good is really made in South Korea, and then maybe your eligibility to meet the South Korea Free Trade Agreement could be in question. But the big thing that customs is really looking for is, is there really transshipment? So let's say the chemical was really made in China, and this is number one going on right now. And the chemical is then transported to South Korea. And in South Korea, the only thing you do is stamp on South Korea's uh, country of origin sticker. So you say the chemical was really made in South Korea, although we know it was really made in China. And then you export from South Korea. So the reason you're doing that is to not pay the extra 301, what we call China tariffs. And typically it's 25% nowadays, which is a lot of extra money. So what are we seeing a lot of and too much of? Double invoicing, number one. So the supplier will say to you, oh, you pay me $100,000, but don't worry, give customs this invoice for $50,000, no biggie. Not good, that's horrific. And when customs sees that, that that alone is criminal. We see companies trying to change countries of origin to say, all right, well, South Korea, remember, doesn't have that free trade agreement, so good to go on that. Not good to go, because the extra tariffs, um, customs is heavily, heavily enforcing and navigating brutally. So if a company, for example, makes goods in Thailand, South Korea, whatever that country is, and customs believes that there could be a way that it really isn't made in Thailand or South Korea, then customs will actively investigate that company. Very, very common. And intellectual property rights seizures are also incredibly common. In 2020, at at least, so you know, there are 18,757 recorded trademarks and copyrights with customs. So let's say, um, what's, give me a brand name, Ben, a brand name that would be registered with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office.
0: Uh, So we we represent a large manufacturer called Avonic and their trade name is um, Vestinol.
1: Perfect. So now for that particular trade name, we can go to customs intellectual property rights search website and see if it's recorded with customs. Many companies don't take advantage of this. If you think about it, there are definitely more than 18.7 thousand trademarks and copyrights that are registered with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, and the Copyright Office, right? A lot more, You know, probably millions upon millions and only very few are recorded with customs. Now, the idea is once you record that brand with customs, So now let's pretend that manufacturer of yours and that that big brand they have is recorded with customs. And now let's pretend that I'm a bad guy. I'm, I'm trying to import this chemical and I want to sell it under that brand, but I don't have authorization. I didn't pay for a license agreement. And the only reason I'm doing so is to profit off the use of that brand and the goodwill that was built under that brand. If you had spent the time to record that registered trademark with customs then US Customs actively acts as a policeman at the border to not only stop me to take my goods, then they call you and say, did you know that Jen was bringing this in? so after they seize my goods, they tell you who I am. They give you my name, they give you my address, they tell you who my supplier is. So you can go after me, you can go after my supplier and then Customs not only seizes the merchandise, But they also issue a penalty as if the merchandise was genuine. So for example, I get it from my supplier, I get this chemical for a hundred bucks, but the legitimate chemical would be a thousand bucks per whatever amount. So it could be that the penalty is millions of dollars at the end of the day. That's heavily, heavily enforced by customs when companies actually take the time to record a registered trademark, something I highly, highly recommend. I don't know how big counterfeiting is in your particular industry. And whether that's a a high trend, but if it is, there's also something called e-allegations where you can tell on any competitor or any entity that you think is counterfeiting or bringing in a fake item using your logo without your authorization. They also ask you when you're recording your trademark, is there an issue with this? So Customs can proactively look out for it for you. And you get to teach Customs how to police your particular brand, a terrific program. Another hot, hot issue is forced labor. Is your supplier using forced labor, indentured labor, child labor, slave labor? And if so, Customs is issuing what are called withhold release orders, basically stopping the importations of goods made with forced labor. So something we're recommending our clients do is to have forced labor internal policies to ensure that their suppliers are vetted, their suppliers confirm that they will meet your requirements and not make goods with forced labor that your suppliers go through some sort of audit and what customs likes to see and the NGOs that also help monitor and enforce like to see or unannounced audits of facilities as well. And there's also a terrific app. If nobody knows it, you should, it's called the Department of Labor app and it's called Sweat and Toil. So it's something I highly recommend you download on your phone and anytime you're looking at a different particular country or you're looking for a commodity itself, you can look up both the commodity and or the country. And you can say, is there an issue with my particular commodity in any particular country? And what's nice is you get to see it. So for example, like the first one that pops up is alcoholic beverages. Would you have known that there's a forced labor issue in Cambodia for alcoholic beverages? I wouldn't have but for this app. So you can go through any particular item and, and check that out as well. So in terms of things that Customs is heavily targeting, anti-dumping, the correct amount of duties, the correct country of origin, paying China tariffs when appropriate, ensuring forced labor is not part of your supply chain, intellectual property rights. I mean, so many different things and that those aren't even all of the priority trade initiatives that Customs has. Those are those are the bulk of what we see active enforcement on. In addition to wood packaging materials, that's a new hot, hot issue as well. And that if your particular chemicals come in, do do your chemicals come in on pallets?
0: Uh, Some do, some do definitely.
1: And are the pallets of wood material or plastic?
0: Pallets are typically wood, as far as I'm aware.
1: It's exactly, well, that's, that's what the US government would like to not see, right? Why? Because the USDA finds a lot of pests in the wood pallets versus the plastic pallets. You're not going to find the same amount of pests, right? Already. So what Customs and USDA have teamed up to do is that if there is a pest or if there's not an appropriate stamp on your wood packaging material that it has been actively fumigated and is going to be pest free, then you can get a penalty, meaning the importer, you, get the penalty, because it's always the importer that's responsible. Even though the supplier had a supplier packing on a wood packaging material and you, the importer, have nothing to do with the packing of your merchandise once it gets to the US, you, the importer, get a penalty for the value of your merchandise. Crazy. I have so many crazy wood packaging material stories. I mean, imagine you bought artwork overseas and it got shipped to you, and all of a sudden you're the importer, and then you don't even get your artwork, but you get a penalty.
0: Yeah, I, I I had never heard of such a thing. That's I mean, it certainly makes sense. It's a it's a logical explanation. I had just never never even thought of the the pallet that a product shipped on. You, you'll never think of I think the the product itself and making sure it's correctly labeled and wrapped. But that's a whole other
1: whole other. It's piece a, of a whole other there. thing, and unfortunately, you the importer, you're supposed to provide standards to your suppliers so that your suppliers meet those particular standards, including the proper packaging of your product. So it's not only labeling, but it's also the packaging and the wood packaging materials your products are in. We have a Bloomberg Law published article about wood packaging material and what the actual standards are, what your labels should look like and such, and, and some tips for you to provide your particular supplier in a policy, because it's this is a crazy new trend and we are seeing penalties galore for this issue with a lot of importers that are clueless.
0: And and does the customs agency publish these things that they're looking into? Is it something that just needs to be followed along online or on social media or on their website? Is it something that they should be regularly in touch with a firm like you guys to keep up to date with you know what we should be focusing on and looking at? Or what's the best way to to follow all these different priority trade initiatives that that customs is looking at?
1: Such a good question. And I, I wish it was a really, really simple answer, but the simple answer for us what we tell our clients is we publish a weekly blog and a monthly newsletter. And if you're on diaztradelod.com, you can easily sign up. You'll get a pop-up that says, do you want to subscribe? And we keep our clients abreast of all of the hot changes on what's going on and what's being enforced. And we we go over typical examples. Every time the government is meaning customs or any federal government agency is going to change a rule, change a law, they have to publish in the federal register. So we actively monitor federal register notice to look for hot issues we also monitor customs so customs has a very very active robust website cbp.gov and you can absolutely get lost within it but lots of great information so under trade there's a whole section just on importing so if you're a new importer there's a 200 plus page guide that i think is phenomenal and if it was me again as commissioner of customs i would probably be hated because i would make that required reading for importers because you would have to know what you're responsible for. And within that are priority trade issues like agriculture and quota, agriculture meaning the wood packaging material issue we just talked about as well, anti-dumping, import safety, intellectual property rights, revenue, what does customs care about? Collecting the right amount of money as you can imagine from customs duties. That's the number one revenue source. Textiles and wearing apparel and making sure that those A, they're, they're not flammable like issues unfortunately that Consumer Product Safety Commission also also addresses. And they have the right labeling, which Federal Trade Commission also addresses. So imagine you're importing a shirt and you could be dealing with Customs, Federal Trade Commission, as well as Consumer Product Safety Commission for a shirt. It's And if that shirt's geared for a child, it's fine. it is it is what it is. CPSC is involved as well as trade agreements. So the issue is you as an importer have a lot of different websites that you should be monitoring and tracking. So if you're in touch with a reputable law firm like ourselves and keep in the loop with the hot issues that are going on, then you will stay in the know. The minute the wood packaging materials became an issue, we absolutely publicized that and talked about it and published an article about it and made sure our clients and all of our followers were absolutely aware of it, which the Also for any other priority trade issue, like forced labor, for example, that's coming up as a priority trade issue. And it's not even mentioned right now that it is, but there's so much going on enforcement wise. That's something we write about quite often and inform our readers about. So you should be keeping up with cbp.gov and the website is is pretty ginormous. So there are trade bulletins and it can be quite overwhelming. There are also great informed compliance website sources on, on customs, Websites that talk about specific commodities and how to deal with specific commodities as well. But when it comes to updates and changes, it's difficult. It really is difficult to stay in the know. There are new anti-dumping and countervailing duty issues consistently. And thank God we have our of counsel attorney who keeps us up to date. So when there's a new case that comes out, we publicize it. We let our readers know what's going on and what to look out for. But if you didn't have a source like that, you would be in rough shape trying to keep up with so many different federal government agencies. So the first thing is, who regulates you? And then all of their laws, it's up to you to make sure you stay on top of. It's a lot to ask, right?
0: Yeah. And if nothing else shows the value of having either a person or depending on the size of your company, even a team of people uh, keeping an eye on these things on behalf of the company, talking to agencies and companies like you guys to have all the resources available really, really shows the importance and and need for a a person, that type of role.
1: I think so. And I I guess we need you to tell the world. So get the word out.
0: (laughs) We're working on it. We're working on it. We're, We're trying our best here. Um, One of the sections I know I was most excited about when we started talking about these, obviously you guys have, uh, I'm sure, a a diverse background of prior cases and and, um, things you might be able to share um, both – you know maybe good stories and maybe a couple horror stories and what could have been done to avoid some of those situations i don't know if there's any cases or prior experiences that stick out specific to importing that uh, became a big deal and and maybe you know advice or if you could look go back in time what, what that person could have done to potentially avoid that issue and anything specific to kind of you know the chemical and commodity industries is is great if you if you have them
1: sure uh, so many fun stories to share um of course during the pandemic so many different ppe related items coming into the united states right out of obviously sheer necessity one of those items being hand sanitizer well i had many clients in the manufacturing of hand sanitizer space that were duped with their raw materials so they thought they were buying ethanol to make their hand sanitizer and it turns out the raw material suppliers substituted the ethanol for methanol now According to FDA's good manufacturing practices for drugs, which hand sanitizer with alcohol is a drug, the manufacturer should have been vetting the raw materials and testing the raw materials upon receipt of them to ensure the stability and to ensure that it really was the raw material that the raw material supplier said it was, right? In these particular cases, the manufacturer didn't, they didn't have that particular quality control standpoint at that time. And that was also because let's face it, it was a pandemic, right? So out of sheer necessity, everybody was making the hand sanitizers really, really quickly. And people that didn't normally make them were getting in the business for the sake of necessity. Well, hand sanitizer came into the U.S. with methanol instead of ethanol and people started getting sick, right? So if you're using hand sanitizer with that methanol, your hands could have an issue or God forbid, you're drinking it for whatever reason, we don't have to talk about today. People unfortunately pass from it. So it becomes a a main, a major issue. So we helped manufacturers deal with the recalls and that's quite extensive in some instances. So we are, We've closed out one and we've got a couple more to go to close out, but it's nice when we're able to get the bad product off of the market. It's horrific for the company that's dealing with it. The manufacturers thought they would be able to make a product sufficient for a public necessity. And in this instance, it was very easy for them to get duped by their raw material suppliers. And then they're facing lots of uh, withdrawals from the market. So imagine how unhappy your customers are when you're giving them a product that's deficient and that U.S. consumers can physically get ill from in some way, shape, or form. So the recalls have been very, very invasive and and tough to deal with for these manufacturers, but it's a great example of trying to get into a business quickly and not 100% having all of your processes and procedures and auditors and checks in place prior to. Um, We have some good stories as well. So we've got other clients that are more proactive, which are the stories we really, really want to see, right? The clients that come to us in advance of importing, in advance of exporting, and we're able to assist them with what we call pre-compliance. So you want to import this particular chemical, okay, Well, this chemical is regulated by this particular federal government agency and we need this particular permission before we export and it should have this particular label before we export. And by the way, the country that's going to receive it also has to approve it. So let's go in advance and let's talk to everybody and let's get the right designations. Let's get the right labeling. Let's get the right approvals prior to. And then importing and exporting becomes more of a pleasure because you've done all your homework. You have the right parties involved. You have the right knowledge involved and you're able to go through your particular transaction without having to have a heart attack that your particular products are going to be either recalled, seized, or you're going to be penalized in some way, shape, or form. So at least that's a happier ending, because I've got a lot of sad stories about first importations where they didn't realize about how many government agencies regulated their products, and it ended up being A seizure, a potential criminal investigation, a penalty, and that's from a first importation. So, thankfully, we were able to get a lot of criminal investigations off of the list because we were able to show our client's cooperation. The fact that our client really had no criminal intent, but a lack of knowledge is pretty bad and get you into a whole lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine. Um, One of the things you mentioned early on was... um, you know you guys kind of being a nine one one for importing um, and you know versus doing some proactive work I'm curious what what percentage of your guys's business is that uh, sort of nine one one you know on the back end of an importing case versus you know doing some proactive work because I'm sure that the proactive work certainly will go a long way
1: yes i I would say the nine one one work is about seventy five percent if not more sometimes it's A minimum of 75% of our day is 911. It's my goods were seized. I received a penalty. I'm in trouble in some way, shape or form. The government is investigating me. I did so and so wrong. And and what do I do? How do I help myself? Or it's a lot. And a lot of those cases we try. And our goal is always to turn those into compliance cases. So so you did this wrong so for example the wood packaging material issue so you imported goods that had poor wood packaging material that weren't properly fumigated or had a pest in them what are you going to do differently so we create their their procedures and we help clients make sure that these things won't happen again we educate suppliers in intellectual property rights issues which are incredibly common we develop processes and systems to ensure that every subcomponent or every raw material is truly, you know, from the correct source. And if it's going to be labeled as such, or you're going to be using a trademark, you use it legitimately and you have authorization. And we make sure that the license is has not expired. And we advise the broker of that relationship and of that license. So if they're asked by customs, we don't have to waste time getting it. They already have it in place. So there are a lot of really happy pre-compliance stories that started with really bad penalty issues or seizure issues that wound up with success stories at the end because we were able to, as we like to say, flip the script, right? We had a really bad story at the beginning and we were able to change it up so that Customs now trusts us and trusts our particular entities that they're doing the right thing and going through compliance because they have the right partners in place to help them, which they didn't at the beginning. And that, that truly does help with mitigation as well.
0: Sure, I can absolutely imagine. Um, and I think what, you know, we talked about a lot of good resources and, and places that you guys use, whether it's websites or social media channels or newsletters. Um, so obviously we can link up a bunch of those uh, in the show notes below here, but I don't know if there's any other final uh, resources to recommend. Obviously, no no harm in shouting out your guys' own website and social media. I know you guys post constantly and, and do a great job on social media to keep everybody informed. But what are some of the go-to resources and, and things to recommend for anyone that wants to maybe learn a little bit more about importing uh, or someone that's a, uh, a either novice or experienced import? And I just want to keep, them, keep up to date on what the latest is.
1: Sure. I would say number one is importing into the US, the guide for commercial importers. If you're a brand new importer, that's my required reading. It's 211 pages and some of them are table of contents, so it's not so bad, I promise. There's also the reasonable care checklist from US Customs, which outlines your obligations as an importer and what Customs expects you to follow. I would say for newbies, those, those two are mandatory reading as far as I'm concerned. As far as updates on what's going on with specific federal government agencies, following and subscribing to that federal government agency's press page or news page is, is awesome. When it comes to customs, we follow their federal register updates. So anytime customs posts something new or has something new going on, whether it's something to do with the china tariffs basically the 301 case or 232 or any any of the crazy numbered cases that are going on right now we we get a hit for federal government agency pages uh, i think all of them have a plethora of information and they're actually quite difficult to navigate sometimes which is the hard part it's what what do you go to and and how often do you go to it so if there's a page that has great news on it and you like it many of those pages have subscriptions there are also social media channels for all the government agencies as well we like to follow all the agencies on twitter and they post a lot of really great information sometimes you'll see it first on twitter before the federal register notice it's you never know what you're going to find in different areas but our our website, as well for the firm, for my firm, is diastradeLaw.com. It's Diaz and Dog I A Z and Zebra TradeLaw.com, and we have a section for our blogs, and we also have a section for our previous newsletters, and we similarly do many webinars throughout the year to train on different topics, like we're training on medical device importations and imports and exports 201, basically coming up with your own import and export control manual and how should you be auditing your transactions and what should you be looking at and keeping up with. Those are what I would consider really important aspects for any business. We also do what are called ACE reports. So if any of you don't know about this, it's a terrific program, where it's also been your favorite free, where you can request an ACE account if you're an importer and Customs gives you access, and you can have access to your entire importing history. There are many other benefits of ACE as well. We've got a good article on why you need your very own ACE account. And once we do, we do an import report card, and then we can also pick specific fields to audit routinely. And then we tell our clients which fields we believe they should be auditing and how often they should be auditing to keep up with trends and to make sure that there aren't mistakes within their paperwork. They submit to Customs. so. I wish I could say that there wasn't a lot that importers have to do to stay in the know. But I I can confidently say that there are sources like us and others where you can keep up with a firm and they will help you keep up with the latest and greatest of what's going on. Because navigating 40 plus federal government agency websites or even two or three or five, however many regulate your product, could be a lot.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's obviously refreshing to see and hear a company like you guys doing podcasts like these and putting out your email newsletters and social media um you know trying to kind of aggregate all of that and make it easy for companies like us to stay in the know on what's going on so um a lot of great resources in there and and appreciate you sharing those um i think wrapping things up in terms of the importing episode any any final notes or thoughts or maybe maybe a sentence you wish you could hammer home to all your customers on the on the importing front what's the what's the wrap up
1: we have a top 10 tips when importing and top 10 tips when exporting it's a a cheat sheet that we provide on our website for free on diaztradelove.com which gives you a lot of the things we talked about today and some really great links so within our top 10 tips when importing is the basic importing and exporting links CDP rules and legal decisions trade data and such and, and exporting as well because that's a whole nother amazing topic where if you export to the wrong party It's a criminal offense. And that's a whole nother story where you really, really need a written compliance process itself. So our top 10 tips when importing and exporting, I think is a great way to summarize a lot of what we talked about today on one page.
0: Yeah. And we'd be happy to put a link in that in the show notes, wherever you're streaming this podcast, whether it's via the YouTube video version or uh, just the audio version, we're happy to Uh, In addition to all the other links that you have uh, mentioned here and we've talked about, we're happy to add a link to that as well. I'm sure that's a, a fantastic resource and look forward to sharing that as well. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jen. I think it was a uh, fantastic first episode. I'm excited to get the next two going. I know we have a export 101 episode scheduled, as well as a anti-dumping focused episode, uh, as well as potentially some additional ones depending how things shake out here in the next couple of weeks and months regarding uh, policy and government and all that good stuff. But we're excited to have you on here for a few more episodes. Appreciate you taking the time for this one episode. I think it's a fantastic resource, a lot of great info, uh, something that'll be shareable and relevant for a very long time. So we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on our podcast series and we're looking forward to the additional episodes here coming up soon
1: thanks so much it was a pleasure
0: awesome thank you jen really appreciate it uh like we said all the links and and notes that we had discussed will be down here in the show notes just scroll down wherever you're streaming and uh we're looking forward to the next two episodes we'll once they're all live we'll certainly include episodes to all three or or four of this mini part series um so those all be in there as well and we're excited to get the rest of them out there Uh, thank you again jen